My wife and I are certainly blessed to be here. And I want to say again publicly how grateful and how appreciative we are of this church, Pastor Tim, Sister Nikki, others who make our stay here a real blessing of comfort, provision in every way. We just want to thank you and we are privileged uh, just to come in on the margin of this marvellous, fresh endeavour. And I want to assure you that God's plan, the significance of that building, to me says that God has something other in store and something which will be a blessing to the people that come in and the community here. So we thank you from all, uh, myself, my wife, from the depths of our hearts for the blessing of just uh, coming and sharing the times we have with you. I said to Pastor Tim yesterday that I'm not sure that this is really a pastoral message. Uh, it's more of a kind of a mini-conference message. See what you think. Uh, in that uh, airport in Bristol. I was in a certain facility in that airport, and uh, <coughs> on the way out, there were some buttons. I looked at colored buttons on a, on a kind of a, a thing, and uh, I gather the uh, idea was feedback. You know, good, fair to middling, bad, indifferent, whatever. I'm supposed to press one. Might get one of those installed at the back of the church, you know. Sermon feedback. You just press the button as you go out. Amen. It's good to be with you. Can we turn this morning to the prophecy of Habakkuk? Habakkuk. It's wedged in between Nahum and Zephaniah. If you find Micah, go on. Haggai, go back. If you're in Genesis, look in the index. Amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. The prophecy of Habakkuk. I hear the leaves turning. It must be autumn. Hallelujah. Give you just a chance to get there. The prophecy of Habakkuk. I want just to catch a couple of verses in the third chapter with you of Habakkuk. Third chapter, the first verse. It says, A prayer of Habakkuk upon Shigianoth. The word Shigianoth indicating, I think, a prayer offered up in view of grievous tidings. In view of grievous tidings. O Lord, I have heard thy speech and was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years, in the midst of the years, make known in wrath, remember mercy. And may God bless those verses and other verses as we come to this message in Jesus' lovely name. Amen. The prophecy of Habakkuk, in a sense, is unique amongst the minor prophets, this prophecy is not 
so much a public proclamation to a people as it is a dialogue between the prophet and his God and a reflection on the substance of that dialogue. Little is known of the prophet Habakkuk. It is supposed that he prophesied in the earliest phase of the prophecy of Jeremiah during the reign of King Jehoiakim. And the prophecy is entirely concerned with the coming invasion of the Chaldeans, the Babylonians, under King Nebuchadnezzar as a rod of judgment, of correction, of chastisement upon Jerusalem and the cities of Judah and the nation of Israel. The prophecy begins, the dialogue begins with a cry from the prophet's heart, how long? You may remember in the prophecy of Isaiah, the sixth chapter, the same cry, how long? The prophet's not complaining or protesting, really. He's simply indicating, having been used by God in public ministry, that everything he sees points to decline, the avalanche of decline, the apostasy. He notes in verse number 3 of chapter 1 their iniquity, grievance, spoiling, violence, strife, and contention. And he concludes in the fourth verse, therefore the law is slacked. And at the end of that verse, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. You know, my brothers and sisters, to read these prophecies is like reading the newspaper of our time. It's absolutely up-to-date, state-of-the-art, stop press. And I just want to say concerning that last verse there, that fourth verse I quoted from, uh, recognizing that the province here, Northern Ireland, is part of the United Kingdom. We're very much part of you and you part of us. But we're different countries in, in many respects, spiritually and otherwise. But speaking for England, I can say the law is slacked. The word of God is neglected. The word of God is laid to one side. It's compromised. It's tampered with. It's perverted. And the net result is wrong judgment comes forth and proceeds in our land. We have wrong policies, wrong laws, wrong agendas, wrong opinions, wrong directions, wrong thoughts, wrong everything. And I'm very much trusting God. I thank God for this church and other churches I know of, but this one and pulpits such as this one where the word of God is lifted and affirmed and gloriously preached in all its fullness. May God raise up preachers in pulpits across this land and England who will not pervert the word of God, but will stand unflinching in the times that we're in and preach the unalloyed, unadulterated word of the living God that our nations once again may have some kind of voice some kind of benchmark. Let me share with you, my friends, I have a great heart for the young. Our young are being swept down the river of compromise and hell itself a nightmare, and it's only the word of God and the power of the Spirit that can arrest that terrible flow away from the things of God. Now, maybe this prophet was thinking or expecting there might be some kind of national repentance or some kind of great reform under some godly king. 
Uh, there had been a revival and a return to God in the time of Elijah, and there had been reformations in the times of kings Jehoshaphat, Hezekiah, and Josiah. But God is quick to assure the prophet that judgment is coming. He tells him in verse number 6, he is raising up the Chaldeans, that bitter and hasty nation. In verse 7, we find they are terrible and dreadful. In verse 9, they shall come all for violence. In short, God is saying to the prophet's son, things have gone too far. Things have gone too far. My brother and sister friends in this house this morning, I speak as an Englishman. I can't speak for the province here exactly, but I speak for my land of England. Others may disagree with me. I'm not against anything. I'm not being critical, uh, you know, expecting some turn of the tide. But I would say in England at this time, things have gone too far. I don't believe that God is going to turn the people back as a whole. I'm not sure there'll come even a widespread revival, but I'll come to my subject in due course. It is encouraging. But I believe that judgment, the signs of judgment are upon our land. I believe that Islam and the Islamic system which is invading our land and Europe is very much a rod of God's judgment. We had the situation in Salisbury, of course, you may have heard, with the chemical warfare things coming in from communist countries, possibly. It's just a tiny window, but everyone's aware that window could fling wide open and mayhem could break forth in our land. But I want to say this, friends, as God assures the prophet in the second chapter that once that instrument of judgment has been used to accomplish God's purpose, God then judges the instrument of judgment. Now, again, I'm just expressing a personal view. I'm not saying, thus saith the Lord, and there may be others uh, in the house who disagree with this, uh, but Islam is flooding into our Western world into Europe, into England, I'm not sure about here in America, and they are a major threat. I believe God has allowed that. He's lifted his hand. There's a rod of chastisement and correction coming upon us and judgment. But just as who could imagine that Babylon would ever fall? Who could imagine that Nebuchadnezzar, it was after his time of course, but who could imagine that Nebuchadnezzar and the Chaldeans and the Babylonian Empire could fall, but when the time of God came, friends, it fell in one night. And I have a kind of a, I don't know, it's a Holy Ghost hunch or something, uh, but this is my view. Friend. I believe judgment will come upon the Islamic world when that instrument of judgment has accomplished God's purpose. We could see the Islamic world shattered from the inside into a thousand pieces almost overnight. I don't believe that will be the Antichrist system. I think they're serving a purpose in this time. In the third chapter... Uh, before we get to the prayer of Habakkuk, uh, in the third chapter, the third verse, there's a wonderful hymn, a wonderful psalm, a glorious recollection of the prophet of the halcyon golden days when God was on the march with his people friends, delivered them from Egypt, brought them through the wilderness, brought them through the Red Sea, through the River Jordan, into the promised land. You can read how the sun and the moon stood still in the time of Joshua. It's a glorious recollection of God on the march with his people. Of course, 
there were blips, there were problems, there were difficulties, there was idolatry, there had to come measures of judgment, but God found a people who would march with him, and I want to encourage our hearts this morning, when God finds a people who are prepared to march with him, that people under God, dear friends, are unstoppable. Hallelujah. Oh yes, there'll be all kinds of stuff surrounding that march, but I want to encourage you here in Ballina Hinch, I believe with all my heart that God is on the march. God is on the march. It may seem difficult at times. There may be stuff going on, disappointments, discouragements, things coming in, whatever. But if there's a remnant people in this place, and I believe there is, and God will march with that people. Can I say this, dear friends? A people on the march with God are unstoppable because God is unstoppable. Hallelujah. And I'm believing God, I know you are, for great things to come forth from this place. Hallelujah. Get in with God, if you're wondering whether to be a Christian or not, if you're backslidden, whatever, cold in heart in the house this morning, I tell you it's time to shape up, put those shoulders back, hallelujah, get the Bible in your heart and the Spirit of God in your life and march with the God who's on the march, you become unstoppable in the hands of Almighty God, hallelujah, praise His wonderful name, glory to God, one or two soldiers amongst us I'm sure. I want to come to this great prayer, and my subject this morning really is in the midst of the years. The prophet prays, first of all, O Lord, revive thy work. Let's pin it down this morning, friends. The only work that God revives is his work. He does not revive man's work. What man has put together and called the church, God won't revive it, friends. He only revives his work. I tell you, friends, I want to encourage our hearts this morning. Uh, it's different in England, I can tell you. It really is different in England. We are so blessed to come over here. Amen. Uh, you know, pastor, just pick out a name here and there in the congregation. Would you lift us in prayer, brother, sister, whatever? I mean, that's a rare thing in England, isn't it? Amen. My wife's saying amen. That's a rare thing. I mean, you've got the binoculars out there looking for someone to pray. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. They're out there. But I want to tell you, friends, God has an existing work. God already has an existing work. And I believe if we're born again of the Spirit of God, filled with that Spirit, and I believe there's many in this house this morning, dear friend, brother, sister, you are part of God's existing work. They're over there in England, a remnant people somewhere out there. Some are stragglers or strugglers. Amen. They may be tucked in somewhere. They don't really belong. Or they may be just out there in the wilderness somewhere. But I'm praying, God, revive thy work. There is an existing work, irrespective of conditions and what we see and what seems to be happening and the devil gaining ground. But there's an existing work in these lands. And my first and foremost prayer, my God, is, oh, would you revive your existing work? That's before we get to salvation. We want to see God save, folks, yes, but oh, would you take the existing work and fill us and fire us once again, hallelujah. Would you lift us? Would you pick us up? Would you edify us? Would you fulfill your promise in the great prophecy of Joel and the book of Acts? I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men 
shall see visions, your old men shall dream dreams, and on my servants and on my handmaidens I will pour out of my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. Hallelujah. We're meant to be a prophesying people. We're meant to be a Cornelius house people. When the Holy Ghost falls, they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. There was a glorious visitation of God. I'm saying, Lord, I, how many can raise two hands? If I had three, I'd raise them. But I want to lift both my hands and say, Lord, I stand in need of personal revival. I do love Jesus. I am filled with the Holy Ghost. I am called to ministry. But God, there are many times I'm saying, Lord, I need the power of the Holy Ghost like I've not seen before. I need a personal touch. How many can wave a hand and say, Lord, I love you. I want to serve you. I want to walk with you and march in your purposes. But this morning in this house, I found myself standing in need of a personal revival of God upon my heart. Fill me, Lord, with the Holy Ghost and fire because I want to glorify your marvelous and matchless name. Hallelujah and praise his wonderful name. Glory to God in the highest. And then he says, revive thy work in the midst of the years. Do you know, friends, you could take the whole history of man from start to finish, pin it on the wall there, take a dart. I'm not suggesting we play darts, but... Throw a dart at that thing. Anywhere that lands is the midst of the years. Could be the darkest time on this earth or the most blessed time we've ever heard of. But friends, we live in the midst of the years. I want just to turn over for a minute, if, you, if you'll turn in this teaching with me, uh, or just listen. I want to just come into Matthew 24 and have a look at the midst of the years. The midst of the years. Jesus prophesying to his disciples the destruction of the temple, the coming of the Roman emperor Titus and all the rest of it, but it has a futuristic fulfillment as well as the immediate foreground. But let's just have a look at the encouraging news that God brings to these disciples. It's like reading the present tense in the newspapers of our time. In the fourth verse, he answers them and says, Take heed that no man deceive you, in verse number 5, he says, For many shall come and shall deceive many. In verse 11, he says, Many false prophets shall rise and shall deceive many. Deception is the mark of our time. Then we read in verse 6 of wars and rumors of wars. In verse 7, nations rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. And then we have the natural disasters of famines and pestilences and earthquakes. All of this, friends, is absolutely present tense. You hardly need the preacher to say that. You look at North America in recent months and years, friends. The stuff that's gone through there, the hurricanes, the killer storms, the amazing dumps of snow, the wildfires in California, floods. You know, it's incredible. Tsunamis here, there, everywhere. We heard of one mentioned this morning. But these things are on the increase. And then we have the afflictions, verse 9, the, the assaults and even the killings, uh, the hatred of the nations for the name of Jesus, the betrayal and hatred one of another. I would say, dear friends, that's creeping into church circles, betrayal and hatred. Oh, we need the touch of God this morning. I said we need the touch of God this morning. Oh, a glorious fire to fall. Hallelujah. And then it says in verse 12, And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. Dear friends, I've seen, you've seen precious ones who once were preachers, 
Precious ones who once seemed to be on fire for God. Ones who had a heart for evangelism and reaching souls. But somewhere down the line, whatever alchemy took place in the spiritual realm, they're now in a place where love is waxing cold. There's a coldness. There's a winter coming to their spirits. And I'm not condemning anybody. I pray for them, friends. Now, we could pin these things on the church wall or each week, Pastor Tim, you could put these things in the church bulletin. Amen. Let's list them out. We've got deception. We've got natural disasters. We're surrounded by wars in our world. There's hatred and betrayal and the waxing cold of many hearts. And, and you look at those things for some length of time. And in the end, dear friends, you start to get a bit depressed. Amen. But the answer is not to bury our heads in the sand, is it? We have to be conscious and aware of the things in the world and our society around us. But I just want to pick a few flowers from this prophecy and show us the balance in Jesus' wonderful plan as we look at the midst of the years. And the first thing he says is in verse number 6, he says, See that ye be not troubled. Whatever's happening out there around you in your society, whether it's Brexit, exit, bed and Brexit, no deal or some deal, amen. I can get down in the mouth about that. Uh, my bank account's not worth thinking about anyway. If it's gone, it's probably a good thing gone. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, whatever happens, amen, Jesus said, see that you be not troubled. And I asked the question, Lord, what does that mean in real terms? How do I accomplish that? Do I just grip my teeth and get my spiritual bottle and kind of, uh, you know, something else happens? Well, I'm not supposed to be troubled. But you are troubled. <laughs> I have to be honest, I get troubled. Amen. And I said, Lord, would you give me some scripture that helps me not to be troubled? You said, see that ye be not troubled. How do I do it, Lord? God just to flick my mind into John the 14th chapter where Jesus says almost the same thing. He says, let not your heart be troubled. But he goes on and he says, ye believe in God, believe also in me. Come on, you can quote it. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. I got the message, my dear friends. He said, see that ye be not troubled. Let not your heart be troubled. I believe the key plan of God in the Scriptures is to have a heavenly mind. A heavenly mind. He said, let not your heart be troubled. I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to receive you unto myself that where I am, there ye may be also. There's some mansions up there, my dear friend. I never remember Bob King by uh, in my mind. I'm sure I met him. But I'll tell you, friends, he's gone to those mansions, whatever they are. Took God six days to make a universe, taking him almost over 2,000 years to prepare a place for you and I, friends. That must be some place, can somebody say? Amen. It's worth waiting for. But God wants us to look to that. Hallelujah. I have to wade through all the bric-a-brac. You know, my, my life's a bit like that building before you cleared it out sometimes. Amen. It's, it feels like that, doesn't it? The world feels like that. Just a kind of uh, or disorganized chaos. But I'll tell you, friend, if I can keep a heavenly mind, if I can keep an eye on what lies beyond this world, amen, I have to walk through this world, wade through this world sometimes, put up 
with this world. Even in the church, you have to do a bit of wading from time to time. <laughs> Can somebody say amen? But you know, if I'm keeping my heart and mind also on the thought, there's a mansion up there somewhere. He's coming to receive us, friends. Where he is, there we're going to be. I mean, I'm walking with Jesus now. It's just a continuation of what's happening now. Christ is coming. We're going to be with him forever. You can look at almost anything down here and say, Lord, I'm not going to be troubled by that. I have to deal with it, do something with it, but I'm born again for something beyond this world and glory to God. I believe it's just on the horizon. Hallelujah. Praise his lovely name. I like to talk with Jehovah's Witnesses. They knock our door quite often. I thought they marked the houses where there's no through road, but they don't anymore. We get quite a few knocks on our doorstep. And I like to make that doorstep a pulpit, you know. I love them. I, they're lost, but, you know, you can... And they get into it. We had some recently, and they got into the whole thing about the new heaven, the new earth, and they want to engage you, don't they, in some kind of argument. And I felt to say, well, look, we could argue about heaven and all these things and what it's like and where it is and so forth uh, until noon and beyond. But let me say this. Jesus said, his promise was, he's going to come, he's going to receive us, and where he is, there we shall be also. Whether the grass is green or red or blue, I don't know, friends. Whether the streets are literally made of gold, I don't know. But I'll tell you this, heaven is where he is. And dear friends, it's heaven on the way to heaven. I said to those JWs, I said, I'm seeing through a glass darkly, but I'm walking with him, I'm talking with him, he's talking to me, I'm communing with him, I'm with him now, and wherever that heaven is, whatever that heaven is like, I want to tell you where Jesus is, is heaven there, hallelujah and the only way you can get there is to be born again of the Spirit of God and washed in the precious blood of Christ and seeking the Lord that you might endure unto the end, hallelujah see that ye be not troubled and then he says in verse 13, important instruction but he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved do you know, brother, sister, when you and I were born again, this wasn't a hundred meter dash. This wasn't even a half mile or a mile. This wasn't even a 10,000 meters or a marathon. This is an endurance event. How long is it going to last? I don't know. <laughs> but I know his instruction is, he that shall endure unto the end shall be saved. Again, I asked the question, how do I do that, Lord? Do I flex my spiritual non-existent muscles and grip my teeth and just, there's something in that, you know, just going on. But I said, Lord, would you give me scripture as to how I endure to the end? This is what he gave me. The lovely passage says this, love suffereth long and is kind. Love envieth not. Love vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Here it comes. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. Are you ready? Endureth all things. 
love never faileth. And I said, my Lord, it's not a question of spiritual muscle or some kind of jiggity-jig athleticism. It's a question of being filled with the glorious power of the love of Christ shed abroad in my heart by the Holy Ghost because that love will endure all things and never fail. Hallelujah. I said, Lord, baptize me with your love. And then he referred me back to the 12th verse. Because it says, because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall be. I don't believe that's in the world, friends. I think that's in the church. You know, friend, that marvelous 1 Corinthians 13 goes on. And I realize this is not the kind of take or gloss that's generally given on this. But after that great passage in that chapter, it says... Whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. And there's a real expounding on that. But what occurred to me was this. I've known folks, friends, where the word of God has gone from their hearts. I know folks who were once on fire for God spoke in tongues and now they've gone up there. I know folks who had a lot of knowledge in this Bible, friends, but somehow that knowledge has gone somewhere distant from them. And we pray for them. But I ask myself the question, how can that love wax cold? How can the love of God that never fails? See, the love of God which never fails cannot wax cold. And God spoke to my heart and said, Son, there's often a mixture of human love and my love. Human love is a wonderful thing. Human love can be very effectual, it's very sincere, it's very genuine, but dear friends, human love alone will not cut the ice when it comes to the spiritual conditions we are heading in. I'm not sure about you, but I used to be like this as a, you know, I spent a bit of time in the charismatic movement, you know, and play the first, Julian, or somebody play the first chord on the piano there, key of G, and we'd all bop up and down like glorified jumping beans, you know, we... We, we thought that was kind of, you know, part of the love gospel. And then afterwards, it's all hugs and hallelujahs and, oh, great warmth. And, 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 you know, I love people. That's part of what we are, isn't it? But sometimes there can be an unconscious thing of human love, which we think is God's love. And that kind of love will not endure. I remember in the States, I may have said this before. Forgive me, I'm getting old now. Are you getting old? <laughs> We, we used to visit churches. This is just a lighter bit, just to, to, to balance the thing a little bit. And we're talking about human love and, and, and lovey-dovey, and it could be wonderful. It's, you know, love is lovely, isn't it? But you go to some churches in that uh, charismatic time over there in the States where we were, and uh, you had to watch yourselves after the meeting sometimes. Because, you know, they love the English and so forth, and, and you, you just see... Uh, sister, whoever coming towards you, she, she was generally, uh, you know, a, a larger lady sometimes, and, and that's good if you're that way, but you know what I'm saying? She, and, and she'd be heading for you, and she was about to fling her arms around you in fond embrace in Christ. And uh, we began to wonder how much of that was really the love of God. And that can cause real problems. And we decided the best thing was to have the charismatic airbag. And you pull a little cord as she comes towards you, and boom, this bag, you know, just defend you. <laughs> but human love has a place. It's wonderful. 
It's marvelous. I love my wife. I think she loves me most of the time. And uh, it's lovely and it's effectual and sincere and genuine. But God's love is not the same as human love. God's love is distinct, and it's the love of God, dear friends, that endures and never fails. I said, Lord, what is it? He took me to Calvary. You can be betrayed by a friend. Anyone been betrayed by a best friend? Anyone know anything about betrayal? Yeah. Betrayed, falsely accused, ever been lied about? Yeah, false accusation, false assumptions made about you, all these things. Amen. I'm talking about Christ in that progress there. Never happened to me, but it happened to some in our world. Flogged he was, scorned, scourged, crown of thorns, mocked, spat on. All of this hung up for ridicule, mocked on the cross, scorned on the cross, all of this. And God said, son, the love I'm talking about is a love that can endure all this and come out the other side and still be love. I'm not sure about you. I struggle with some of that stuff. I do. I don't like being betrayed. I struggle for months after that sometimes. I don't like being lied about. I'm getting used to it, but you, you know it hurts, doesn't it? God says the love that endures, son, will come through all of that and still be love on the other side. Oh, God, would you baptize us with the glorious love of Christ in our hearts shed abroad by the Holy Ghost. Yes, it's wonderful to be lifted and excited and rejoicing and glorifying in the Lord. But there's another work, a tougher work in the heart that brings the enduring love of God that never fails. Hallelujah. And then I'm thrilled as I come to verse 14. It says, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world as a witness to all nations, and then shall the end come. Did you notice in those verses, friends, how the end is in view? He that shall endure unto the end. This gospel shall be ending when he comes. The effects of that gospel never end. But that thrilled me. That tells me whatever else they have planned, whatever else happens, in the midst of the years, the great plan of God is the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ right to the end. There's not going to be a change of plan, friends. The gospel of this kingdom, it's not something the smart boys of religion are telling us elsewhere sometimes. There's only the one gospel he gave to those disciples at the end of Matthew's gospel, Mark's gospel, reiterated in the book of Acts, carried forward, friends, comes down to the 21st century. He said, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel. I want to tell you, friend, I believe one of the great keys to enduring to the end is keep preaching the gospel. Keep preaching the gospel. Don't allow other things to obsess our minds or take us off on some tangent. Let's stick to the glorious, gracious, power-filled, blood-cleansing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because this verse tells me that gospel will prevail and be effectual right to the very end. Hallelujah. It's a gospel age we live in and the gospel age goes on until Jesus comes in glory and takes 
over this world for a thousand years. That's my belief, friends. Hallelujah. Whether I'm right or wrong, I'm still rejoicing in it. And the gospel must be preached. Hallelujah. I may have hit a doctrinal toe or two there, but never mind. Hallelujah. The main thing is the gospel. Stay on the front line, brother. Stay on the front line, sister. Witness that gospel. Hallelujah. Tell folks about Jesus. Tell them your testimony of how he got saved. Hallelujah. You notice in the midst of the years that these disciples, and as the story unfolds, they weren't trying to pray away the Roman Empire, were they? They never prayed for a national repentance and revival. Why? They knew things had gone too far. They knew that. And friends, again, I'm not criticizing, but I don't see much future in trying to pray some of the things away. They've come as judgments upon us, friends. No point trying to pray for a whole turning of the tide, I think, in things. But what I'm believing is for God to revive his work in the midst of the years. I tell you what we desperately need in England, friends, is to see a glorious and real move of God in genuine salvation. See, I wasn't born again to backslide. I was born again to go on. And I've seen too many cases of someone apparently born again, apparently baptized with the Holy Ghost, and a few months down the line, a few years down the line, and they're gone. And I'm saying, Lord, when revival came, there was consistency. There was an ongoing. You could go back 10, 15 years, 20 years later, and that child of God is still holding the fort, still going on, still on fire, increasing. Isn't it a terrible thing when elderly saints go off the boil and lose the fire? We should be riper and readier and more wise and all those things. As we get grayer hairs and fewer teeth, amen, we should get fuller and fuller of the Holy Ghost and be a counsel to those who are still young in the faith and searching for the way of salvation in this wicked world. Hallelujah. My final thought is this. In the midst of the years he prayed, make known, make known. My wife and I were preaching in Burnham up by the traffic lights. You know where the traffic lights are in Burnham, don't you? <laughs> Just up there. You got it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was just finishing my little discourse when a well-dressed elderly kind of man came up. He was a Jehovah's Witness. He was pleasant to start with. And he said, um, have you heard of Apollos? I said, yeah. He said, well, you're an Apollos. I said, really? He said, yes. You need to be taught the way of this thing more perfectly. I said, right. And he went on to say, I would like to come to your house and teach you. I said, right, okay. Strange. So I said, Lord, help me. And I said to that man, I believe it was the Lord, I said, you can come to my house, our house, and teach me on one condition that you can answer this question. He said, what is it? I said, why is the church on this earth at all? Why is there a church on this earth at all? What's it there for? And for some reason, that seemed to press some button in the man. He became all indignant and stormed off down the road. 
But that question is worth our consideration, friends. Why did God birth you, brother, sister, into the kingdom of God and fill you with the Holy Ghost? Why is this marvelous company assembled in Ballina Hinch with God working with buildings and uh, different things and giftings and ministries? Why is God doing that? There are many answers, perhaps many facets to the answer, but I want to give you a simple answer this morning. I'm born again. We're gathering together. Church exists on this earth, friends, that God may be made known. He wants to be known. He wants to be known. He wants us to know him, and he wants to be known to a dying world through us. And I have to tenderly and lovingly ask myself the question, would you ask the question, does my life, my lifestyle, my conduct, my conversation, my witness, the way I am, the whole demeanor, does this man make Jesus Christ alive and known to somebody else, or does it confuse him? Does this church, and it does, but does any church worth the name of church, does it make Jesus Christ the Lord known in those in the community around them that folks may disagree, they may not like it, they may be hostile, they may oppose, but this church exists to make Jesus Christ known that he might be known. What did the great prophet cry in Isaiah chapter 64, the famous revival scripture? He said, Oh, that thou wouldest rend the heavens, that thou wouldest come down, that the mountains might flow down of thy presence, as when the melting fire burneth, the fire causeth the waters to boil. What for? To make thy name known to thine adversaries, that the nations may tremble at thy presence. When you get up in the morning and look in that bathroom mirror, I don't look for too long these days, I can tell you. But when I look in that bathroom mirror, friend, when you look in that bathroom mirror, say to yourself, I'm born again of the Spirit of God and washed in the blood of Christ. I'm birthed into a kingdom which God will extend to all eternity in our favor, friend. But I'm born again right now in Ballina Hinch, in Belfast, wherever you live, wherever we live, I'm born again that Jesus Christ might be made known to a dying world around me. Hallelujah. We, we have the privilege of going into a rehab house in our town and uh, I love those people. I know it's a self-inflicted wound for the most part. They're in there, you know, but we have a, a liberty to go in. It's not a Christian home, not Christian run, but very industrious and very diligent. And um, we have an agreement with the management. I say to them, look, I'm not here to preach. I'm not here to recruit. I'm not even here to invite them to come to church. We're here because we love them. We're here because we love them. If they want to ask questions, they call me the vicar. <laughs> I, I, I've stopped trying to oppose that. I, I, I just adopted it. They call me the vicar. But we're there that Jesus Christ might be known why we're there.
just our demeanor, the way we are, our conversation, our interest in them, our love of God for them, excuse me, our love for them, our, our desire to spend time with them. Many of them have been rejected by families and by their communities and so forth because of the sin that they got into. Just the acceptance of them as they are, just as they are without one plea. And if the blood of Christ cleanses them, they're just as saved as you and I, friends. And oh, I'll tell you, I'm praying, let the Holy Ghost fall in that rehab center. Let someone sovereignly, even this morning, get saved. Think about it. They come to service. We've had loads come to service over the months. Uh, sometimes they come, sometimes they don't come. But I'll say to ones who come, they may come just for one meeting. I said, if you never come back again, we'll still love you and still talk to you. Still love you and talk because Jesus died for you. Friends, we're to make him known, to make the Lord Jesus Christ known in our families, place of work, communities, everywhere, to make him known in the midst of the years. Whatever happens, friends, it matters not. Whatever happens in a spiritual sense, it matters, it matters immensely, but it matters not in the sense that God is not hindered or opposed finally. God will have his way. And if we'll walk with him, dear friends, we're trusting that God will take a people and revive them and birth folks into this kingdom and we'll walk through hell itself, friends, glorifying his wonderful and marvelous name. Can you say amen? amen? Father, would you bless the very few words here this morning? Would you cancel the words of flesh and increase the words of spirit? Would you touch the hearts of precious ones gathered in this place, Lord? And would the power of thy spirit move and move increasingly and more intensely as time goes on? Father, would you equip us for the times? We live in the midst of the years. God, would you make us a people everywhere you place us and plant us that Christ might be known by our lives, by our testimonies, by just the way we are, by just the way we treat people, by our interest in them, our love towards them in Jesus' name, and yes, in the witness of the glorious message of the gospel. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Would you bless us and bring us together again in Jesus' lovely name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.